good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whenever you're listening to this. This is Molecules and Shit, and this is a science podcast. I'm your co-host, P-Funk, at P-Funk and around on Twitter. And I'm joined by your host, Koki Negra. Doctor? Sir? So, uh, how was your work week? My work week was busy because COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Today I'm not thinking about work. I'm thinking about musical giants we've lost. I think I'm going to do some day drinking and mm. remember little Richard. Uh, remember him how he used to be, not like how he ended. Well, see, here's the funny thing about that. My first introduction to little Richard, he was a minister. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that that was like little Richard, little Richard. But he used to be a televangelist, and that's how I first knew him. It took my mother and grandmother to explain to me that that's Little Richard, the piano player, Little Richard. Oh, so he had a persona. I thought Uh, that was Little Richard who was the ostentatious dresser and telling people to shut up. I thought that uh, was Little Richard. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, he was brought up in a Pentecostal household, and he did preach, and... That's that's how I first knew him. Then he mm. went, you know, sort of back in the business and started doing movies and things like that. Right. So, hmm. But yeah, and that there was this period in the seventies where he wasn't an entertainer at all. Okay, I did not know that. All right. So the I, I mean, it seemed to me that he was telling he was not denying his 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 own identity. Because everyone had presumed that he, if he was not gay, he was at least queer or somewhere, you know, he was not straight presenting. But it seemed to me that he had a lot of homophobia, like in the later years. Well, I think he had homophobia anytime he was religious. So, mm. I mean, you know, I I would like to say that I guess I, I feel bad for anybody who can't live out loud. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was born in the same town as my father in Macon, Georgia, in the 30s. Mm. A black gay man in Macon, Georgia, in the 30s is just really not going to be happy. True. So I hope he found peace. I really do. Yeah. I mean, that's the best you can hope for. I just hope that at least he was living his truest life and it it wasn't all just a, a charade to get right with God. Yeah, I I don't know. All I can tell you is I saw him in person, and I've never seen a tighter band in my life. What do you mean band? Well, you know, he just doesn't sit at the piano. He has a whole band. Oh, you mean okay? You mean his actual band was like really tight, tight performers. Tight. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like he had a tight headband. I'm like, what does that mean? Oh my god. <laughs> he wore headbands. It it, oh it was a thing. Okay. Yeah. No, I saw him in D.C. for free, as a matter of fact, and. But it, here's the thing. They had somebody passing out Bibles at mm. that show. Like, he's always been... I think a lot of performers sort of have their raging problems with God, I guess. I don't know. Mm. But I just... It, it was really one of the best shows I've ever seen. Okay. You know, these people who came up on the Chitlin, Chitlin Circus, they know how to perform. Right, put on a show, you not just a play your songs. Performance, mm-hmm. Go see somebody old. Yeah. I mean, there's still a couple of people that are, I would say it's still contemporary, that put on a good show. You know, you hear about uh, Erica Badu, um, The Roots, 
you know, there's still some contemporary groups out there that, that put on good shows. They're both really good, but they can't touch Little Richard. Oh, no. It's not, a, not even as a comparison, but just like... Yeah, I mean, there, there are, are some people... Because there are some performers, they literally just go out there, they just sing their songs, and then they go home. And that, that's not a performance, but... Well, it's only a performance if you sing really well. I would argue that Jerry Butler, the Iceman, mm-hmm. just would stand out there and sing, and everybody loved him. Mm. But it, that was his gimmick. It was, it wasn't a way of life for the rest of the performers. But right, lest we talk about old school R and B, which I could do forever. This is a <laughs> science podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you're talking about old school R and B, there's also you know the guy who just passed uh, the producer for New York Undercover. Andre Harrell, you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would call him old school, but then I'm old, so... But yeah, he was responsible for an awful lot of music that I grew up as I, a young adult enjoying. I hate to break it to you, but when they go to those old school jam stations, they're playing 90s music. Yeah, I know. That was, I'm uh, just trying not to think about that, thank you very much. That was 30 years ago, just saying. And if you remember, in the 80s, they were playing 70s jams. And in the 90s, they were playing 70s jams. That's... 20 years is about when you become old school. Hey, P-Funk. Yeah. Shut up. I'm just I'm just saying. I'm 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 the old school is a moving target. That's all I'm, I'm saying. I'm already upset. <laughs> okay? Don't, don't call me old too. Well, I'm not calling you old. I am also old cuz I remember listening to old school 70s music and that's now that's something else. I don't even know what they categorize that as. Uh dead people music. <laughs> No, come on. People who were alive in the 70s are still alive today. They ain't that long ago. Yeah, they old, though. Older. You're older. If you were if you were five or six in the 70s, you are still uh, you're still kicking. You're still with us. Yeah, but kicking not high. Let's put it that way. Well, yes, you, you, you're kicking with weaker knees. <laughs> yeah, but you're still kicking with much weaker. knees. That's besides the point. You still here. But uh, like you said, aside from, you know, losing giants, you know, that we, we do like to acknowledge that at least um, this is a science podcast. And uh, as, sadly, it still always goes down from here. There's very little good news out there these days. Mm. I didn't even put murder hornets on here because I, <laughs> it, it's just that too much. <laughs> Someone put a meme out on Twitter. They said in that in the November 2020, we're going to be seeing these. And they had a picture of a Photoshop picture of like a bird with like shark mouth on it. Hmm. <laughs> it's just like, what what else is there? <laughs> Listen, when Krakatoa erupted, I figured 2020 was a wrap for me. Yeah, tw- anything could happen. This, just anything. Just put the whole decade in rice. Yeah. You know, better yet, it, it's already over. Just burn it. Just burn the whole decade. Start over with 2021. We've been saying this for the last four years. 2016 was the last chance to have a good decade, and we mm-hmm. fucked it up. So we did. We did. It's terrible. <sighs> Register to vote, y'all. Um. So first story on the agenda. Um, Space Force is not just a show on Netflix. It's an actual thing. Yeah, I'm a little upset by this why would you be upset by that i love star trek why isn't this good news nobody has a job on earth <laughs> we all got, uh, we're all afraid of a virus and people want to go to outer space i just 
But Koki, who will defend our satellites? They're vulnerable. I just can't. (laughs) Despite having spent many years living down the street from NASA Goddard, I just... I understand. I like satellites. I like the fact that, you know, we have better weather prediction because of this stuff. But I've just... That's part of science that's never really interested me. I don't want to go to outer space. But that's the thing, too. It's It seems weird to me. Maybe someone else who has more knowledge of these uh, policy issues could explain it. But it seems like why not just give more money to NASA or have some sort of joint operations between NASA and the Air Force? It seems yeah. weird to sort of militarize the science aspect. Because what, that's what they're talking about. They're developing technology so that they can... Uh, build better rockets and better uh, defense mechanisms so that if someone does attack our infrastructure in in orbit, we have a means to defend it. Makes sense. The whole, having a whole defensive wing of the military doesn't make any sense to me. That that seems weird. Well, it's stupid, but it makes sense because this can be the orange one's legacy. Mm. This is not about what we need. This is about what props up his ego. And and that's why it's like man news. It's not even under in another administration. This might be exciting under different circumstances. This might be something we would giggle over because it's like, oh, it's like my Star Trek dreams come life. But under this leadership, it's garbage because <laughs> we know Hot what it's garbage. about. We know what it's about. Hot garbage. Yeah. So they've released a recruitment video on Twitter. Um, a bunch of feel-good, you know, nonsense. A bunch of people in military uniforms with hard hats. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the the ad is just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see any new technology in there. I didn't see any thing that was being done that isn't already being done by the Air Force. In fact, the person they tapped to lead it is a general in the Air Force. We already have this covered. This, Although this, the commercial, black and stem. I, yes, there was a black woman there. That, that was, was a black man in it. No, it's a black woman too. Okay, so I saw him and you saw her. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with representation. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we're going to space too. Okay, whatever. That that's how the I guess that's how they pander. I suppose. Well, frankly, the military is full of you know poor white people and people of color. True. Smart. And actually, you know what? If you are going to get enlisted or you are going to go into the military, go into the research wing. You you won't get shot at at least. True. So go go work some drones and or go in the Coast Guard. You're, you're likely to be better in the Coast Guard. Yeah, the Coast Guard, too. I mean, there are ways you can go avenues. You can go where you may not come back, you know, damaged. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's you should be thankful for that. There's another um, there's another place in the military you can find yourself where you you don't come back on a body bag yeah and out you just go to outer space yeah <laughs> oh thank you you know no, that's the thing you don't even <laughs> you don't even go into outer space you're sending up machines into outer space none of this was about sending people into outer space this ask is about president i bet yeah. you that's not what he's thinking well he's an idiot i wouldn't ask him anything <laughs> he doesn't know he just says that sounds great. That looks great in the rose garden. What's the flag look like? Let me see the logo. He's a marketing douche. He doesn't know anything mm-hmm. about anything. He's the person yeah, just, at the conference room no one wants to listen in your to. Lungs and you'll be fine. Exactly. 
<sighs> so that's a real thing. I'm looking. I'm more looking forward to the TV show on Netflix. It looks funny, <laughs> and it's it's actually called Space Force. And Steve Carell plays an air a four star Air Force general. So oh, meta. Steve they, Carell. Okay. Steve Carell. He's a lunatic. Oh, it's I gonna, mean, he's really talented. But yeah, he makes me laugh a it's, lot. It's going to be funny. Watch the trailer when you get a chance. So there's that. Um, this is actually almost sort of good news, I would say, or maybe it's just neutral news. But uh, there was a statisticians won $20 million to address shoddy forensic science methods. So that's a really shady article title from uh, Science Magazine. Uh-huh. But uh, so in 2015, a team of statisticians set out to help rehabilitate forensic science, a field with a reputation for flimsy methods and dubious conclusions. Would you agree with mm. that? Okay, so as someone who sat on the advisory board for the state forensics um, board, it I don't want to say that out loud. Wow. But the reason why the board came into being is that the person who was running the forensics lab in a certain uh, locality lied about what degree he had and what experience he had. And there was very little transparency into how the forensics department was working. That's how I wound up on Mm. it. They were looking for someone who could talk about who, uh, what education works best for people who work in forensics labs. So I would say shoddy is not a, not the wrong word to use. <laughs> wow. That is, that's some scientific shade, y'all. Just so you know. <laughs> it's like just below quack, it's, <laughs> it sounds like. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, Go ahead. I think, a, I think a quack knows they're a quack. Oh, okay. I think, you know, sometimes people don't know what they don't know. You know, it's it's nice of us to like when we watch movies or TV shows, we think of this, you know, murderous forensic tech rubbing their hands together and saying that, you know, I'm going to make sure this guy goes to jail. Mm -hmm. I don't think it works like that. I think it works like the people are not well trained and they don't. You know, when when you look at somebody somebody from my background who is trained in clinical laboratories, there are so many fail safes. There's so many controls. You can tell if something worked or didn't work right away. Mm-hmm. In the forensics lab, it's a little different than that, and the people who often work there are not necessarily trained to that degree uh, of uh, the ability to to troubleshoot what they get, the results that they get. Hmm. Okay. So I think, you know, the the issue is they don't know what they don't know. So there's no mustache twirling here is what you're saying. I don't think so. I mean, of course, there could be a Batman villain in some forensic lab. But I think for the most part, that's not really the way it works. Yeah. And so, okay, so just more background on where this why this $20 million was allocated. Uh, The Center for Statistics and Application of Forensic Evidence based in Iowa State University uh, grown to include more than 60 researchers at six universities working on new ways to analyze fingerprints, shoe prints, bullet marks, and other crime scene evidence. So they basically, they, it was a group of actual academics who came together to uh, look at how these different markers, fingerprints and bullet marks and things like that, 
uh, were being used and how they were being um, how they were being uh, collected in order to be used as crime scene evidence. So uh, they interviewed a Iowa State statistician Alicia Caraquiri about her vision for you know what they're going to do with that twenty million dollars. And uh, among some of the things I, th- I thought were notable, she said that one of the big problems in the criminal justice system is the lack of transparency. So when someone says the fingerprint matches, this fingerprint matches this fingerprint we found, what do you mean by that? What does it mean to say it matches? What algorithm did you use? What did you measure? How precise is it? None of that is available. That's kind of surprising to me. Uh, I mean, do we really believe that? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. Let's <laughs> put it that way. I thought that matching a picture to a picture wasn't even really a scientific endeavor. I mean, how you do that may involve science, but just saying that this matches this is pretty clear to me. You would think so. Yeah. If someone, if an expert got on the stand and said, this fingerprint matches this fingerprint, I think that is the same fingerprint. And well, it sounds I, like they're not exactly argue, sure. I would argue that the, the fingerprint technologists are probably the best when it comes to forensics. So I'm not that worried that the fingerprints don't match. But there's an awful lot of stuff I am worried that doesn't match. Like mm. when they give you this is one in a million person who could be it's pro- the numbers probably not like that. <laughs> yeah, and she says that same sort of um, nebulous language is the same when they it happens. They said it happens everywhere. It says with mixture DNA software with ballistic software, you don't know what's going on inside the black box. So it sounds like what people are doing is they're collecting um, physical evidence and they're somehow inputting it into prepackaged software. And then coming out with a result. And this is what happens when you outsource things, mm-hmm. right? There's a company that does it, but it's not part of the the office, and so you don't know what's in there. Like I I know what the forensics off what the forensics labs look like in Maryland, um, and literally they're just like big boxes. It could be a DNA uh, analyzer. It could be running a gel it could be synthesizing uh dna like it's a box like you have no idea what's in there i mean i'm sure people who work there understand what it is but you know when i would would be in the laboratories i would just be standing there going well what does this do yeah and i i I think it is a little scary when you think about it that the person who you want to believe that the person who goes on the stand and testifies to the fact that XYZ piece of evidence is the same as XYZ piece of evidence from such and such weapon or such and such person. You want to believe that they have some methodology that is trustworthy and that you can be certain relying upon them when you make your decision for whether you're going to say that the person's guilty or innocent. It sounds like they're saying that that person may not have no idea why that result is correct or why it may be incorrect. Um, that's a possibility. That's frightening. Well, considering that somebody's freedom, life or death, depends on it, yeah, it is. Um, like I said, I spent some time on one of these advisory boards that didn't exist until mm. um, 
it did. And it seems like to me this is a great step forward. The the database that they constructed is is going to be revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the database that she's talking about, she said, uh, if you're going to put someone in jail for something, that person should have the right to inspect the methods you used. One of the things I'm very proud of is that we insisted in the last five years on the need of transparency and open source algorithms and open source data. And they've built an enormous database that is carefully constructed, very well documented and searchable. And we put all that data in the public domain. So no more proprietary uh, you know, software that just spits out a result. Now you have to say, we use this methodology. This is what it's based on. And this is the likely or how reliable it is and where we got that information. So, so that's a good thing. I didn't know that we didn't have something like that. I didn't realize that the technicians, I didn't realize that the technicians were just using software that they purchased. I really thought that they were doing the work themselves. So when something well, went mean, to a criminal lab, I really that, thought he was like, looking at you know, the marks under a microscope and saying, this is the same as this and presenting that evidence. I didn't realize that they had software that just kind of automated it. Well, that's like saying, well, in the clinical lab, they don't really run the test because they have software and stuff. That's not true. I mean, they actually, they do things, mm -hmm. but it's just like anything else. If I run a sequence of DNA and now I have this brand new DNA, I want to see what it's like. I run it through software. Doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. But okay. nobody can look at, you know, three thousand bases of DNA and decide, oh, this looks like this without software. Hmm. But I think the real issue here is you have to understand how the software works. Okay. To determine whether or not this is it's good or not. I mean, if you think about what what we've been doing with COVID nineteen tests. You don't know they're bad until you run them and then you figure out they're bad. Mm. So then what what is the the issue that I mean, why is it that the technician that is running the test that is putting it through the software? Why is it that it's, you know, leading to misrepresentation so often or is it leading to misrepresentation so often? Or is it the fact that they just don't know or understand how the software works? Is that really just the crux of it? I don't know. I can't answer that. Um, mm. I think every lab is different and what their issues are, are different. So I can't tell you that, you know, maybe in some places it's a training issue. Maybe in some places you bought the, the software in good faith um, and then it turns out that the software just sucks. Mm hmm. And you have no choice but to continue running it because the state is not going to give you any more money for another machine with different software. Mm. Um, you know, so I, it really depends. It can be a number of things. And that's that's sort of why this is so important. Mm. So I think maybe also because software might be proprietary because they did purchase it through a third party. This is supposed to counter that partially by having a public database that potentially defense attorneys or, def, you know, other people, other officers or investigators can look to to say, okay, this is in fact a good result. We can confirm it by looking at these databases here. Yeah. And I think that's great. Anything okay. that, that makes the justice system more blind is great. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's a, a little piece of good news. So if someone's moving yeah. forward on making sure that, 
you know, the right people are getting, you know, the right result in court whenever possible. God knows we'd all like to see a bit more justice. I'd like to believe, you know, that's the way I feel. I'd like to believe. Yeah, I'd like to believe people get arrested less than three or four months after they murder someone. I don't know. On camera. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be nice. But uh, yeah, on to uh, the uh, weekly COVID-19 segment. (laughs) This could be good news. Um, I didn't know that llamas would be trending on Twitter in relation to COVID-19. Yeah, that was news to me. That was a good find. So apparently, though, they said that this is something that they've been working on for quite some time. They were testing. um, Let me just read the headline for people. They said, hoping llamas will become coronavirus heroes. Antibodies from winter, a four-year-old llama, have neutralized coronavirus and other infections in lab experiments. So I think, uh, let me see which uh, research lab this was, if I can find it quickly. It's uh, Ghent and Belgium. In Belgium, yeah. So they were already running tests on using llama uh, antibodies to counter SARS and MERS, and they were having some success. And while they were, you know, writing up their paper, writing up their results, uh, COVID-19 kind of, you know, hit the stage and it was everywhere. And so they said, well, we already have the, you know, the lab infrastructure and the, you know, the capability. Let's collect some data, see how these antibodies work on COVID-19 and they were right. It did have an impact and they published their results Tuesday in the journal cell. So do you want to talk a little bit about llama antibodies versus human antibodies? Are you familiar with that or was this all just brand new to you? Um, Well, so it makes sense because MERS basically jumped from camels to humans. Mm, Okay. And the camels seem to be fine, but it's taken out people who are around them. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why they were looking for antibodies from these families. Mm. Now, the reason why they didn't go to camels is I don't know if you've ever been around a camel. They're mean. Oh, okay. Yeah, they spit. They're mean. Llamas spit too, though. Yeah, but llamas are, are more docile. Yeah, I think they're, aren't they domesticated alpacas or did I just make that up? They might be. I I don't know. They mentioned alpacas, but I think they were just talking about them being families. But Mm -hmm. llamas are just, they're, they're just not as mean as a camel and Mm. they're smaller. Like, Mm, you know, you can handle a llama. Camels are huge. Yeah. They're like a, aren't they a little bit bigger than a horse? Well, like I've seen a, a llama, up, I mean a camel up close. It looked bigger than a horse, but maybe... I, I would say much bigger than a horse. But I guess it depends on what kind of horse. Mm, if it's okay. a if it's a plow horse or draft horse, those are pretty big too. But yeah, I I I was in Morocco. I've been close to a camel. That's okay. It, they they can keep them. Yeah. Um, but apparently, um, to be honest with you, I can't imagine why you would decide. Hey, let's pick a llama. Mm. Usually antibody research is rabbits, rats, goats. Mm-hmm. I was unaware that they've gone to llamas. <laughs> well, like you said, it, it, it makes sense because of their immerse research and it hops from camels. And so they wanted something uh, sort of similar, right? Because they figured I, if they have a, an innate defense, then maybe we could utilize that. I assume that's it. That that wasn't 
well, first of all, I don't study MERS, so mm-hmm. it, I mean, it makes sense for an animal model for MERS. Okay. Um, but so the the real thing, I'm not sure I, I follow what they're trying to say. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm very familiar with what a human IgG looks like, and so if you think of human IgG. That's an antibody, of, right? Yeah, it's okay. not. It's the it's the um, one of the biggest of the uh, circulating antibodies. So okay. it's it's the antibody that has memory. Um, it's the second um, the second switch. So when you first encounter some virus or fungus or bacteria, the first antibody that hits you hits that um, invader is an IgM, nonspecific, humongous. Mm-hmm. At some point, your immune system stops making the IgM and starts making the IgG. And that's usually, it's got some memory to it. Okay. So um, if you make IgG to something, then if you see it again, you're more likely to, to um, be able to fight it off. Does okay. the body sort of uh, immediately recognize it and skip the IgM step, or does it immediate, or does it go through the whole process each time you're introduced? No, I to think it? it usually skips the IgM. Oh, okay. Um, so, if you think about what IgG looks like, it looks like a Y, mm-hmm. but the the bottom part of the Y, there are identical subunits, four of them. So two on the right side, two on the left side. Mm -hmm. And then there's two separate that form the the Y. Okay. And there are two different ones of those. And then on top of each one of those, so your Y, instead of just having two arms, it has like four arms. But it still looks like a Y. Okay. And those ones that are really on the top, that's the specificity. Hmm. Okay. Right. So that t- that directs the antibody to whatever this um, invader has. So in, in the case of COVID-19, everybody's looking for antibodies to the spike protein. OK. Right. So everybody wants that. If you look at the llama antibodies. Instead of having the double set of arms to form the Y, they just have one small unit. And that's what recognizes whatever the incoming protein is. Okay. So their argument is that this is so, this is so much smaller, and they form the Y shape, that they can get to other kind. They can get to um, the the invading proteins better. I don't know about that. <laughs> I thought they well partially that. But I thought they also said they were easily more easier to manipulate. So you can create something like that, you know, synthetically more easily than the more complex Y shape. Is and that, then what is that are you going to do with it? I don't know. I thought it was a matter of like speed. That's just the way I was interpreting it as the layman. It's like, well, if it's easier to manipulate, I can make it more specific and I can do it faster, you know, in a lab environment. That was just my thinking. Yeah, so the the issue is, what are they going to do with it? It's not like you can just inject antibodies from a llama into a person. Yeah, they haven't even gotten to that step. They're just no, like, but, this no, animal can not, do not it. get to that step. It, you can't do that. 
Well, I figured they would study the antibodies in the the llama and then figure out a way to replicate that concept in the human DNA. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't change how your antibodies get made in a human. Like that's the point of it. I don't understand mm. how how this helps people. Unless they're going to say that they're doing, they're using these antibodies in tests, but they don't say that. They're talking about the antibody can eventually be used as prophylactic treatment. I, uh, I, no. <laughs> I wonder if that statement or that conclusion was in the, the journal article or if that's the reporter. Because, yeah, I just, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> Yeah, it says the researchers are hope. Oh no, it says the researchers are hopeful that the antibody can eventually be used as a prophylactic treatment by injecting someone who is not yet infected to protect them from the virus. So you're saying you can't just inject synthetic llama antibodies into a human and have it be effective? Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. <laughs> mm. Um, so it, you can't really make antibodies like you can make drugs just throw some chemicals together mm -hmm. this is protein it's it's different um typically for you to make antibodies they have to be made in a human cell that you you can't just snatch them out of the llama mm -hmm. um now uh, apparently their paper says that the these antibodies are neutralizing so that's a good thing but they're neutralizing in a llama and one thing you have to know about animal models is all bets are off when you move from animal to human. So mm. everything works in a mouse. And then you move it into a monkey. Right. And it the monkey goes, nah. Or you can get something to work in rats and rabbits and it's really wonderful. And then you do a human trial and the human goes, nah. Mm. So um, this is interesting. Okay, so not really promising for the current pandemic. It's just sort of it's more knowledge on the pile. Faster. Yeah, it's not going to be any faster than the vaccine. Okay. But it's really interesting in terms of what we know about MERS. That's cool. So now you have you got the idea that, okay, these camels aren't even sick because they can handle it and they're taking us out. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, this isn't. This just seems to be then more information on the pile for future research. It's just adding to the general body of knowledge, but it's not really something that's going to be of any use to us during this current pandemic. We'll probably no. come up with a, a vaccine way before this is of any use. Um, I'm skeptical that this will be any use, except mm. for I think. If they can manage this, this would be great for antibody tests that everybody is complaining about and we don't have them and they're not good. Um, most most antibody tests involve several different kinds of antibodies. So you put the the protein and then you have an antibody that binds to the protein and then you have another antibody that binds to the first antibody that usually has some sort of substrate on it that gives you the yes or no. Mm -hmm. So it gives you the the line on the pregnancy test or the, the uh, flu test or the strep test or whatever the rapid test is by antibody. Hmm. So um, it can be very useful for something like that. Okay. Especially if it's as easy to manipulate as they claim. 
that would be really cool. And llamas are really big animals. You could actually just take it straight from the llama rather than try to, you know, run it through a cell culture and make these antibodies because producing the, the hybridoma that, uh, and that's a, a, basically a B cell fused to whatever is expressing this, um, that can go harder than to just stick the 10 or 15 llamas that you have and draw blood from them and get the antibody. I'm going to ask you probably on another show, because I know it's probably going to be in depth, but I'm, I'm just curious how you would isolate antibodies out of a blood sample, like on a mass scale like that. Oh, people do it all the time. Yeah, but isn't that really difficult? I mean, it, the, uh, blood is made no, of like so many different kinds of cells. Like, how do you do that? Mm-mm. Oh, so we were already exactly. that good at that. It's actually not that hard. I mean, it, it's not easy. You can't do it with Legos, but mm. it's actually not that hard because lots of, of immunology tests have goat anti this or rabbit anti that. No, it, it's really it, it's really not a problem. They know how to do that. Okay. But the reason why they use goats and rabbits is because you can take more blood out of them. Right. But a llama has even more because it's a bigger animal. Right. So, I mean, that could definitely be a step forward when it comes to testing. I don't see them injecting llama antibodies in people. Got you. Okay. I I don't see that coming. Okay. So you just see a different use for this research. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fair enough. So that's a piece of good news. Um, Something that was almost good news. uh, And this is kind of related (laughs) to your antibody tests. Um. So a member of the U.S. Navy who serves as one of the president's personal valets has tested positive for coronavirus. Missed him by that much. (laughs) Just so close. So close. Uh, Raising concerns about the president's possible exposure to the virus. I wasn't concerned. Um, So the valets are members of an elite military unit dedicated to the White House and often work very closely to the president and the first family. The president was upset when he was informed Wednesday that the valet had tested positive and the president was subsequently tested again by the White House physician. Now, question, uh, what is this Abbott test that they've been talking about in reference to the president and and the presidential staff? Okay, so if we're talking about the Abbott ID now, Mm -hmm. this is a rapid test. It's supposed to be nucleic acid. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been a little bit unreliable. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me make sure, but I think Abbott ID nows are nucleic acid, rapid nucleic acid test. It uh, says it provides results in 15 minutes. That sounds pretty rapid to me for a lab mm-hmm. test. And it doesn't always work (laughs) Mm -hmm. okay so what is the concept of this test versus what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago what were we talking about a couple weeks well a couple of weeks ago we were talking about using um what is it a circulator or is an agitator you have to have a certain type of machine you have to have a certain you have to collect the sample from a certain part of the body you have to have uh the right kind of swab and you have to have the yeah, technicians around this. You still have to do that. Um, so this is 
what's the best way for me to explain this that people will understand? It's like really short PCR. Okay. So what is that what we discussed last time was a, a full PCR test? Mm-hmm. Um, more than that, it was like a reverse transcriptase PCR. So you start out with RNA, you make a DNA copy, and then you, you amplify the DNA. Okay. This is a little bit um, shorter than that. Um, and it has proprietary enzymes, so I don't know how they're doing this available RNA amplification, but here's what I do know. Mm -hmm. Remember we were talking about you've got to have the swabs and the transport media and all this sort of stuff, right? Okay. Yes. If you don't use the right swab or the right transport media, which nobody can find and they're sort of making their own, this doesn't work very well. Mm hmm. And so do you collect the sample in the same way? Is it the same yes. invasive nasal yes. test? Okay. And as a matter of fact, the ID now is the one that the president showed in, I think he was in the, the Rose Garden and he had it, all, he had it upside down. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny to like lab text. <laughs> <laughs> like it's upside down. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the 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 ID now is not the best for this, and there was a little issue, and the FDA had to tap him on the shoulder and go, "Hey, um, this is not so great." But they're still using it, and they're using it for the vice president, the president, and all of the uh, Oval Office staff. It sounds like. And here's the thing, so. Um, it is um, waived. It's not been FDA cleared. It's got the emergency use authorization, but it's supposed to be used in authorized labs and patient care setting. And okay. that's not the White House. So in, in your opinion, what is the advantage of this test? Let's assume that the test actually works. Let's just assume it works flawlessly. What is the advantage to using this test versus the the other tests we discussed? The it's fast and it's small enough to be portable. Okay. And then in terms of accuracy, why would it be less accurate or less reliable? Well, I just told you, if the swabs aren't right and the um, buffer that they're in aren't right, the test doesn't work right. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that the person running the test is knowledgeable and because it is the White House, they probably can get their hands on exactly the type of media that they need. So if that is... I don't know why you're making that assumption. Well, I would think then why would he choose this test <clears throat> if it's not because reliable? He, because he had it on TV and of course he's going to have to use that. I would think that a germaphobic president would want the best test, the most accurate test for himself, it, just like for selfish reasons. What that is. I would think just out of selfish reasons, he would yeah, want the best for himself. Yeah, but like he understands what that is. The people this around him. This guy would... is a marketer. He doesn't <sighs> understand laboratory tests. He doesn't understand medicine. He, For God's sake, he wants you to inject Fabuloso in your arm. I mean, <sighs> he doesn't know. I just, uh, so uh, it, just to make me feel better, you're telling me it's possible he may actually have it and we, he just doesn't know? No, I think he would, if he had it, he would know. Ugh. Um, right. 
But here's the thing. I don't know if you saw him. He was talking about, well, she was negative and she was negative, And then all of a sudden she was positive. So I don't think these tests are so great. Wait, who said that? When? Your president said that yesterday. Uh, okay. Yes, oh, about the, the one who's married to Stephen Miller. Yeah. That, okay. So she was negative, she was negative, and then she was positive. So these tests can't be right. So we don't even know if she actually does have it or not. She just tested positive. Yeah, and I don't think the um, the ID now has a reputation for false positives. It has a reputation for false negatives. Oh, okay. So if it's positive, it's probably really positive. Okay. So it is likely that this valet and what's-her-face for under Mike Pence. Stephen Miller's wife. Yeah, probably do have it. Mm-hmm. Okay, and have been just touching things and passing things around because I ain't seen anyone wearing any masks on any no, of these meetings. No, they haven't. And, okay. and again, here's the thing: the president was subsequently tested by the White House physician. What does he know about running tests? I, I don't know. I presumed he would get training. I this is no, these are things I would that, assume. And that's a big presumption on your part. Laboratory professionals know how to run tests. Your physician knows how to take the sample. Those are two very different things. I just... Which is why it bothers me so much that they keep talking to the emergency room physician and they talk to the nurse. You don't know anything about testing. They just know it's good. Testing good. They just keep yelling at the top of their lungs. Testing good. They don't know what it means <laughs> to run a test. They don't know what positive and negative controls are. They don't know what internal controls are. They don't know any of this stuff. And I'm not saying that they're stupid because of that. It's not part of their job. Mm. I don't know how to take out a gallbladder either. I'm not stupid, but mm. I know where my job is and where it isn't. Mm. And it was administered at the Eisenhower Executive Office Building. Is that an appropriate place to run a test like that? Well, if it's a point of care, I suppose. But I didn't hmm. know that the EEOB actually had like a nurse's office or anything. Hmm. I'm not surprised that it does. I mean, the Senate has one. The House has one. <laughs> you can go in if you feel bad and there's somebody there to, to take care of you. Okay. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that the EEOB has one. But I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, and the White House has not enforced strict social distancing guidelines for staffers, and few people inside the building wear masks during the day, including the valets, who put their hands all over his food. <laughs> yeah, well, the offices in the White House and in the EEOB are on top of each other, and if everybody's mm-hmm. working, there is no distancing. Hmm. You know, the, 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 the Hill offices are small enough, yeah. and you can tell who how you rate by the size of your little cubicle yeah and someone okay they said a negative test and a lack of symptoms isn't a sure sign that someone can't spread the virus right Hmm. because most people who get it don't notice they had it and that's why after we talked last week about georgia opening up we're like start the countdown Mm -hmm. so this is week one i don't know we'll look at the numbers next week and see what they're like yeah it's going to be special. Yeah. And and like I said last year, I hate to be the uh, just the, the harbinger of like terrible things. But I told you, like, people are not going to react well to the virus just being out and about. People thought, oh, we're going to reopen and people will just go to the stores or go to the parks. 
people are shooting each other. They are sneezing on each other, wiping their nose on each other, just outright being garbage okay, people. Can we, can we talk about that for one second? Mm-hmm. All right. So the story is that an old man was told to put on a mask when he went into, it was like a family dollar or something. Yes. And he wiped his nose on the the, the staff person who told mm-hmm. him, mm-hmm. The, the clerk who told him you, you need to put a mask on. Now, you should not beat up old men. Mm. However, grandpa would have got it that day. Everyone said I'd that. I kicked his ass. And I mean, just, just the look on her face, I think she was, it was so surreal. She was so shocked. She just didn't know what to do. Like, I, I don't know. I... And they want these people to come back to work and they want to deny them unemployment if they don't. Mm-hmm. That's what this is all about. And, and that's what I told you. I'm like, it's not going to just go back to normal. It can't. Because we, tests are unreliable. Tests are un. You can't find it, you know, appropriately. You can't get the test that you need when you need it. People, it's too, it's too in the air. It's too nebulous. It's too amorphous a threat for people to act right. That's the problem with it. You can't see it. You can't identify it. It's just in the air. It's just this dread. And so every interaction with a person or a stranger is going to make everything daily life very difficult. That's why this rush to reopen shit never made any sense to me. Well, it made sense to me. It just wasn't scientifically valid because we know what it is. We want the service industry to go back to work so we can get our haircuts and our nails done and our massages. But that's so stupid because as you can see, even the people who are going back to the store, they're fighting against it. And they're, and they're weaponizing it, in fact. He knew that that would scare her, that that would upset her, and so he did it. Why? If it's evil, re- yeah, I, mm. only the good die young. Just evil. Yeah, I just, I, I really think people are going. This is one of those cases where you get what you wish for. People are just like, I just want everything to go back to normal and just open things up. It's it's never going to be the same. Disney World's talking about their reopening plan. I'm like, you, you just put a pause on that. You're going to really like introduce a bunch of toddlers who don't understand what's happening to Mickey Mouse walking around and is like, don't touch me. (laughs) (laughs) Get your stupid little paws off me. (laughs) Can you imagine how much they're going to have to pay those people? Uh, The hazard pay to put on a Pluto costume? Are you serious? Keep the shit closed. It's not worth it. It's just not. Like, I, I don't, I, I just don't understand how people don't have some modicum of understanding of human nature. And I, I say this as someone who loves amusement parks. Like, mm-hmm. really? Mm-hmm. I went to Disneyland in graduate school. I was a grown-ass woman. Yeah. Everyone, <laughs> a lot of people. around with the, the three pigs and Goofy. Like, I had more fun than any of the kids who were in there. That, you're not alone. Lots but of people I do that. I don't want to die. Yes, thank you. I don't want to die. And I don't. The worst thing to me is I think the odds are in maybe i'm thinking about it wrong i feel like the odds are in my favor that i probably won't catch it or won't get really sick from it but the odds of me picking it up and transporting it somewhere to get that person sick and possibly die is much higher and so that that that's just me and my empathy is how i justify it but i guess if you don't have that maybe you're just like let me get my nails done 
I mean, I look. And I forgot I what I forgot what just one one last thing. I forgot what state it was, but they said that they found a new source for a lot of new infections was from a nail salon. Yeah, if you've ever been in a nail salon, they're on top of you. Yes. And then in in the nail salon, not only that, like you get other things done. Mm-hmm. You get your eyebrows waxed. You know, like there's other stuff happening. There's and no social distancing. They can't be six feet away from you and do your nails. No. The most they can be is three or four. And I guarantee you they're not showering after each person. Of course not. Mm-hmm. My nail salon doesn't have a shower. And they're not wiping down every single piece of equipment, every single chair between each customer. They're not. Uh, well, mine is pretty clean. I've seen them do that. So, But that's not that's not even the point. Like, I want everybody to be able to go back to work. Mm-hmm. But I don't want them to all die. Mm-hmm. Like, for people who are not making any money right now, I get it. I'm lucky. I'm privileged. I'm still getting a paycheck. I'm working from home. I'm getting a paycheck. Not everybody has a job where they can do that. And I don't want anybody's children starving. Like the nail salon, all the women in there have young kids. I've watched them all get pregnant over the last seven or eight years old. I know they all have little kids. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you want to feed your children. They're all immigrants. I don't know how many of them are citizens, so I don't even know what they're they're allowed to collect. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I get it, but I don't want them to die. Yeah. I I don't know. And that was the whole premise behind to send everyone money. Everyone thought it was just like a liberal giveaway, but there is there's some logical sense to it. Give people money and pay these people hazard pay who have to work in the grocery stores and deliver the stuff on the trucks. Yep. That's just the way you have to do it until this shit dies down because science can't move fast enough. It's impossible. It's just, we just can't. The cure is not coming this year. So I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. (sighs) But yeah, one last tidbit. I saw this article. It sounded very scary, but I seem to remember you saying it wasn't so scary. So just wanted to put that out there for people. The virus is constantly mutating and what that means for treating COVID-19. Researchers have identified a variant of the virus that causes COVID-19, and it has quickly become the dominant form around the globe. Should we be panicking? <laughs> Could we panic anymore? I mean, yes. Our whole lives are upside down. Have you seen The Walking <laughs> Dead? Hmm? Have you seen The Walking Dead? Yes, we could panic more. <laughs> there's, the, there's another layer to this. Okay. All right. You got me there. Okay, so can we think about influenza right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Every year, a new flu strain comes out. We make the vaccine to what we think is coming out of Australia or somewhere else in Asia. Usually it's Australia, uh, South Korea, and you know China somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we make the vaccine on that. And at least every third or fourth year, what winds up here is a completely different strain than what we made the vaccine for mm-hmm. because viruses mutate. Okay. And so the dominant strain that gets to America is not always the dominant strain that left Australia. Okay. This is no different. Okay. What 
started out in China has mutated. Mm-hmm. And for many pathogens, when there's a mutation, it has to offer a survival advantage or it just doesn't get carried. Okay. So if you get a mutation that makes the, the virus slower to replicate and slower to spread, it's not going to spread and it's not going to be a pandemic. Okay. This mutation made it easier to spread, even easier than it was in China. Okay. Of course, that's the new variant. If it spreads faster, it's going to outcompete everything else. Okay. That okay. So I think the fear underlying this, underlying the science. So there's what the scientist sees when they read this, and then here's what I'm telling you: what the layperson's reading. The layperson is reading, the virus is changing quickly, and so in another two months, it could make me, you know, turn blue in the face and my fingers can fall off, or my okay. lungs will explode. Stop that, watching sci-fi. I know, <laughs> but but I'm I'm telling you, like what they hear is, it's if it's changing, you don't know what it's going to do in another two months. <sighs> So speak to that. Is is that an actual concern or is that just nonsense? No, it is not an actual concern. Okay. But here's what the real concern is. If the mutation is in the spike protein, which is the part of the the virus that we are using to make the vaccine, Mm -hmm. and everybody gets... Everybody gets infected with this new strain that Mm -hmm. has a different spike. Vaccine's not going to work. Okay. And so that is the concern. And does that mean you start from square one, or does it just mean it's a bit longer? Like, how does that impact the the research we're doing? It depends on how the vaccine was was, um, constructed. And I I haven't seen it, so I can't tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's the thing RNA viruses are particularly uh, subject to lots of mutations because RNA. replication is not nearly as faithful as DNA replication. So people who work on RNA viruses kind of know what's going on. Um, They know this could happen. I'm sure they built it into uh, the way they produce their, their spike proteins. So I'm not as worried about this yet. Okay. So don't panic yet, is this the advice. Listen, don't panic until I tell you to panic. Mm. I'm very good at telling you, go run in circles. Okay. June can tell you this. Okay. Um, but, you know, again, here's the problem. You are watching the, the sausage being made in real time, and it's scaring the hell out of people who don't really know how to evaluate what they see. Exactly. None of this shit should be in the news right now. But I do think, as a counterpoint, transparency is exceptionally important now, considering who the leadership is and, you know, the health implications for the country but and this the economy. Is not transparency. That's the problem. This is sensationalism. You know, I could sit down and tell you how I plan every experiment, and it would be transparent. You would have no idea how to how to decide whether what I was telling you was right or not mm-hmm. um, or to really follow why if I tell you I use one microliter of 
of uh, enzyme rather than two microliters of enzyme. Well, okay, let me just read the first paragraph of this article because I thought it was pretty measured. So, okay, as the new coronavirus has spread from person to person and country to country, the virus has changed thousands of times. The vast majority of these changes are incremental. But last week, researchers at the Los Alamos National Laboratory posited that at least one variant has significantly mutated to become more contagious. Is any of that misleading or over, overstating? Who is it more contagious in? Is it mice? Is it rats? Mm. Is it rabbits? It certainly can't be in people because we're not there yet. Okay. Right? So what I'm saying is not everything you learn in your lab needs to be splashed on the front page of a newspaper until you understand it. Got you. Okay. And just the idea that people want to know they have to have transparency. You're scared for no reason yet. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it, it par partially it has to do with the leadership we have because we can't trust them. But so becoming hysterical about everything you read is not helping either. Mm, true. I mean, I get it, but obviously if you don't have someone to interpret what this means to you, you do run off half-cocked and, oh my God, we're all going to die. You mm -hmm. know? Um, yes, that's, that's, that is accurate. Hmm? <laughs> I said that is accurate. That's what happens. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, you know, honestly, like I don't mind explaining it to a to anyone but take under consideration that you are not trained in this you don't know what this means and you can't just decide i'll just drink lemon water and i'll be safe you know no like no. let somebody explain it to you somebody who actually has expertise yeah it's just it, i think it's hard for people to hold those two ideas in their head the I can't fix that <laughs> yeah the virus is dangerous i should be cautious but I shouldn't panic. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's hard to, to kind of balance those. Humans aren't good at balancing threats like that. Some humans aren't good at that. Yeah. Well, no, most humans aren't. Most humans are afraid of uh, shark attacks and snake bites more than car accidents. When that's statistically, that shouldn't be <laughs> the case. Stupid. As much as you spend time in the car, that's just dumb. Exactly. But that's that's true. Most people do not have a single apprehension about getting behind the wheel and driving 70 miles an hour on a crowded highway. They don't. They don't think twice about it. Yeah, they, you know me. I don't have a car. I, so, I know. I'm not most people, apparently. And, and yes, that's what I'm saying. But as you can see, people are scared of what they perceive as scary. They're not scared of what's dangerous. That's the difference. Every time you get walk into your kitchen, you're potentially can be injured. It's much more likely you'll be injured there than anywhere else in the day. But, you know, we don't have any bones about that. We don't panic about that. You can spout, you can spit statistics all day long about how many people slice a finger or get burned in the kitchen every day. And that doesn't inspire fear. This virus is invisible People that they recognize are dying or getting very sick, and so they panic because they, they don't understand it. They're not familiar with it. And like you said, it's hard to impart that training in this environment when leadership is spouting bullshit all the time and it seems like progress is stalled, even though it isn't, because we're this is new territory. 
new it's new for the reporters it's new for the people that are hearing it and receiving it it's just it's like i get it but i also see the danger of it this is just human nature at work like it, it it doesn't it doesn't really shock me at all that people are reacting this way which is why I put this article on there. It's like, I know, because we've talked about, you know, viruses before. It's like, well, I know mutation isn't necessarily, uh, you know, the, the coming apocalypse. But I wanted to at least give you an opportunity to talk through it, you know, Well, I would scientifically. also argue that what this article is, is not transparent. Mm. If it were transparent, they would have said this is in... Um, we showed this in mice or ferrets or whatever, like influenza's, uh, influenza's a- animal model is ferrets. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't even know what animal this is. Mm. I know for sure it damn sure ain't people. We're just, we're not there yet. So providing this is not transparent. It's sensationalistic. Gotcha. It really is. No, and, I, I know, agree. I can't stop. I can't stop these um outlets from writing stuff like this it's just you know it's not helpful at all Mm. what if if you had any say like i know you you don't have a background in journalism but you do have some background in like health communication what where should they be directing their resources what should they be trying to get more information on or trying to report out more of If you were talking to an editor, what would you advise them? I would advise them to pass a lot of this stuff through their science communicators. SciComm is is actually much bigger than it used to be, again, Mm. because everybody wants to put everything on on the front page of the New York Times to prove that I'm a good scientist or, you know, actually, it's usually not the scientist. It's the department chair or the dean who wants you to do that. Right. but there are people who are good at this. Uh, Lena Sun in the Washington Post is, is good. I've yet to see her write something that I went, oh, my God, no. Don't mm-hmm. say it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are people who are good at it. But I think, you know, when we're talking about what we need to communicate to the public, one, you better be damn sure. Okay. And that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, if you can't explain it in such a way that it doesn't send people running down the street, if you don't want them running down the street, find somebody else to do the talk. Mm-hmm. Okay. So better vetting and designated communicators who actually have a background in this. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of my job. I'm not the communication staff, but they run stuff by me all the time. Can we say this? No, we cannot. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I. everybody loves to talk about superbugs. You know how that tweaks me, you know, because the bacteria is not super. It's just resistant to an antibiotic. Right. It doesn't have arms and legs and smack you around. <laughs> you know, and I, it drives me nuts to see superbug. And somebody in my office wrote the superbug. I'm like, that has to come out. Yeah. Never are you to use that. Yeah, and I think that's the the inclination of someone trying to sell papers versus someone mm-hmm. trying to just communicate a story. Mm-hmm. And I can't fix that. You know, I, I don't run the newspapers. I can't fix that. But I can rail about it. Mm-hmm. 
okay. So we'll probably be maintaining this this COVID segment for that very purpose is just to, you know, make sure that when we are like, because we're being inundated with information all the time and there isn't necessarily, you know, they're not, you're not able to see all of the people who are combing through it and, you know, providing, providing reliable explanations about the information that they're seeing and putting it in context. So hopefully there's at least this place where we can do that. I hope so. Yeah. <sighs> well, tell the people where they can find you. <laughs> um, most of the science is on Co- at Koki Negra on Twitter, but you can hear me or read me having conniptions. I think there's no other scientific term for it mm. on mm-hmm. Koki Talks Trash. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of the uh, <laughs> the breakdowns. So what are you trying to say? <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm just saying it, it's like you're fighting the waves at this point. <laughs> You're fighting the ocean. And I really am. Some days. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a. It's a. It's. It's not a good pursuit. I'm not saying you're not fighting the righteous battle. I'm just saying it, it's the ocean, though. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. And uh, you can find me at uh, at P Funkin' Around on Twitter, and as as always, you can follow the show at at You Know Molecules. That's capital U K N O W Molecules. And uh, stay safe out there. Keep your mask on. Um, stay home for the most part. Just stay your ass at home. That's really the the best advice for just staying safe. But if you got to go out, do do what you can. And, and please don't wipe your face on anyone. Don't be that person. Yeah, go ahead, try it. But you might get your ass beat. Just don't be that person. Uh, we really don't. I don't really don't want this to turn into you know where everyone's got carrying a pistol and dueling at dawn because someone sneezed or coughed or whatever and yeah i just think one good ass whipping that goes viral will stop all this no it won't that's really the way i feel it, it it's won't. gotta be a good one but one good ass whipping is all somebody needs it'll help that person learn their lesson it, it won't because we've seen too many pe- too many races get their ass whooped and it ain't changed nothing so There was a whole t-shirt. Don't let your president get your ass whooped. Many a ass were whooped and it n- ain't nothing changed. So not holding out hope for that. <laughs> you really just have. I've never thought of myself as an optimist. Mm-hmm. But on this show, I'm the optimist. <laughs> it, it, it transitioned because this is a perfect storm of all the worst aspects of humanity just c- creeping to the top. And yet, I still feel hopeful. I don't know why. I'm more worried about people than the virus. I think that's that's a distinction. You're you're thinking about this pandemic from the virus perspective, and you're like, okay, we can get through this. We've done it before. We have the technology, the capability, the know-how. It just takes time. I'm like, we'll kill ourselves before this virus do. <laughs> that's a good point. That that's where uh, I'm what at. What am I gonna do? You know? <laughs> yeah, you keep you keep plugging away at that virus, and I, I don't know. Just just try to be better people. That's that's all the rest of us can do. Just try to be better people. If someone does cough next to you, don't fucking whoop their ass. You know, a little However, a little a little patience on you. If they weaponize it, then yes, that is <laughs> that's just ass whooping on sight. But if someone like you know, on the next cube over or you know, 
two seats away from you, coughs. You don't need to side eye them. You know, they're still humans. They still have bodily functions. Have a little patience, just a little bit. Take care of yourself, but don't be a dick. That's <laughs> that's kind of it. Don't be a dick is it should be part of our tagline from now on. Just don't be a dick. I think that was. I think actually, I think it was Will Wheaton. He said, "If you know how to be a better human, he's like just don't be a dick." <laughs> <laughs> that would work yeah it would work but you know <sighs> anyway try to make it another week y'all and we'll, we'll see on the you other can side do this. you can do this yeah I'm, I'm i'm gonna try to be a bit more encouraging just know that koki and her ilk are working on the virus y'all just need to work on your on each other so yeah, act like a human being <laughs> act like a human being be a little bit kinder don't be a dick <laughs> And we'll see y'all next week. Take it easy, everybody.